If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Romans. Well, grab that outline of yours and you can use it to follow along as we study uh, together. Romans chapter 8, verses um, 12 through 13 is the text before us. This is of all of the texts that we'll be looking at in this chapter. Uh, this is a little bit more difficult one, as you'll see, because I'm preaching on what's not there. Um, and you'll see what I mean by that as we get into it. So, um, as you would, study along with me well and uh, um, follow along that we might, by God's grace, feed and feast upon this, his word. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word, so let me invite you together to stand t- together with me as we read God's word. Hear now the word of our King. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, you, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that you have given us now, Lord, to be here, to fellowship around your, your word. And Lord, we pray by your Spirit to feast and be nourished spiritually this morning. Lord, we entrust this time to you now. Be exalted, O God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The tendency, brothers and sisters, when it comes to parenting, is to focus on the conduct of our children. Right? To focus on how they speak and what they say and, and uh, what they do or what they don't do. And, and, uh, um, and, and then hold them accountable to that conduct. When biblical parenting, the primary focus, it doesn't ignore the conduct, of course, but the primary focus of biblical uh, parenting is the character, is the heart, is um, their heart being transformed by, indeed, the Holy Spirit as he works by his word, changing his, um, what he thinks upon, what, what, what motivates him, what is the chief thing in his life, his priorities, his goals. For the reason I, obviously, the reason is, is because, brothers and sisters, biblically speaking, that's where the problem is. Jeremiah 17 tells us the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's, it's there that Jesus said flows the things of life. And so to focus on the heart is to focus on the issue, ultimately, that will face that uh, child. And thus, uh, um, Samson, or Samson, um, Solomon made uh, this, this observation, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. He saw it. That's where the issue is. It's their heart. That's the warning he gives in, later on in that proverb, or actually earlier, train up a child in the way he should go, literally in his own way. Train up a child in his own way. And when he's old, he's not going to depart from it. If you let that child have his heart's way, if his heart's not um, addressed, when he's old, that heart will be that which leads him and governs him and guides him and, and, and uh, pushes him. And so you can take a child and give him the greatest education you possibly can imagine, greatest biblical education, the greatest worldview education, philosophical, theological, name it. And yet if you neglect the heart, you and I will have missed a great opportunity and the importance, the bullseye. And likewise, brothers and sisters, as we are children of God, 
It follows with us as well that the heart of the issue in our lives will always, as you know, will always be the matter of the, or, or the issue of the heart. Um, what we desire, what is our motives, what is our priority? And this morning, we are looking at a passage that describes one of the fourth benefits, or the fourth benefit that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ. The first one, as you know, is no condemnation. The next one is fellowship with God. Last week, we saw a transformed life, and now the, the, uh, this morning, flowing uh, from that is a new uh, priority. And the beautiful thing is, brothers and sisters, this priority is not limited to the spiritual green array. This is accessible to every one of us right now, this day, because that is one of the benefits that flow from the cross of Jesus Christ. Notice with me, if you will, the priority identified. Let's identify what this priority is from this text. Notice with me, verse 12. So then, brethren, in essence, based on what you just heard, so this verse is, is, is building upon the last point, which builds upon the previous point, which builds upon no condemnation. So you have to realize that, that Paul's points here are building. So then, based upon this transformed life, because of that, we are under obligation. Now this word, under obligation, obligation is the word, it's a finance word. And it's the word for debt. Okay? And in Scripture... While debt is not sin, not necessarily all debt is sin, while, while, while there is a debt that's not sin, no debt is desirable. And so the focus of any time you see this word, debt, in Scripture, you're looking at a, a concept which demands for the immediate dispatch of that obligation. So it, it becomes the priority. That's where I got this idea. It's the priority he says, then, brethren, you are under obligation, your chief priority. Let me show you that. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Listen to what it says. You, saw, you got there. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. This is a command. It's in the present tense. And thus we could translate this as a lifestyle. The issue is a lifestyle of debt. We could translate this as don't keep owing. And thus, this passage is one of many which speaks of debt being something that's not desirable. But if you are in debt, don't keep being there. Get out of debt as fast and as soon as you can. That's the idea. And so when we talk about this obligation, Paul says a fourth benefit. You're now under obligation. Okay, we're under obligation. That's the fourth benefit. And that obligation, therefore, becomes a massive priority in our lives. Now, would you notice, first he identifies what is not the obligation. Notice, he says, we are not under, or we are, we are I'm under obligation not to the flesh. In other words, our priority in life now is no longer appeasing, serving, or pleasing the flesh. What's the flesh? Our fallen humanness. That, pat, that, that part of our being, which is a rebellion against God, which, according to the non-believer's life, they are subject to. Understand this, brothers and sisters. Before you and I were saved, before a person is saved, they are under obligation to the flesh. One of the things that outs a false believer is this obligation. I'll say it again. One of the things that that eventually will, will, will demonstrate that this person who, who, who claims to be a believer is not, is this obligation. Listen to 2 Peter 2. 
speaking of false Christians. But these, like unreasoning animals, listen to how it describes them. Born as creatures of instinct. In other words, they're not in uh, control. They're subject to what their instinct is. And that instinct is determined by their flesh. Born as instincts or creatures of instincts to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge. Lend, uh, the destruction of those creatures also be uh, destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. There are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery. They can't help it. Eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So, before a person saved, they are obligated. And their, their, their life is all about appeasing their flesh. As we saw last week, Ephesians 2, 3, among them we too all formerly lived in under control of or by the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind of Roman nature, children of wrath. That's the obligation of a non-believer. Now, when a person comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, what happens to that obligation? We talked about this last week. The power of sin is dealt with through Jesus Christ. That obligation is severed. No longer are we subject to our flesh, meaning we have to do what our flesh wants. Um, we, are, we, are, we are freed uh, from that. Well, what are we, we free then to do? Are we simply emancipated? No. We um, now have a new obligation. As it says here, we are under obligation. But the problem is in verse 12 and 13, he doesn't describe what that new obligation is. He tells us what it's not, but in this text, he he doesn't tell us what it is. So what is it? Well, just like in Ephesians 5, you know, in Ephesians 5, uh, 22, it says, wives, submit yourself or be subject to your husbands. The word subject is not there in the original. If we were to translate Ephesians 5.22 literally from the Greek, it'd say, Wives to your husbands as unto the Lord. Well, where's the idea of subject come from? Verse 21. Wives be subject. Why? Because he just said, be subject uh, to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to your husbands. So the idea of, of uh, submission is picked up from verse 21. Well, likewise, in this text, what are we bound by? If, if, we're, if we're no longer bound, our chief obligation is, is to our flesh. If that's no longer true, then what is our chief obligation? What's our greatest priority in um, our lives as God's uh, people? Um, Well, based on the context, just like in Ephesians 5, we conclude that's the Spirit of God. Notice with me verse 5. You see this contrast between the flesh and the Spirit throughout this passage. 5, look back there. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit the things of the spirit, flesh, spirit. Verse 6, the mind set on the flesh, and then the mind set on the spirit. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your flesh, to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwelt in you. So there's this contrast between flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. And then we come here in verse 12. He says, so then, brethren, we're no longer obligated to our flesh. Or or better yet, he didn't say, he says, so then, brethren, we are under obligation 
Okay, that's our state as redeemed uh, people, but not uh, to the flesh. Well, then what is it? Clearly, the Spirit. Verse 13, look a little bit, just next verse. For if you are living according to the flesh, and then he says, but if by the Spirit, flesh, Spirit. So clearly, the implied, okay, as we exegete of this passage, clearly, the exhortation here, uh, as it identifies our new uh, priority, the priority now is to the Spirit of God. Okay, we have been freed from doing uh, um, uh, service and being in bondage to our flesh. Now we're called to do service and be bound by the Holy Spirit. Okay, we see that. That makes sense. All right. How does that look? How does that translate? Okay, how is it manifested? How is that, that this um, a benefit, fourth benefit, manifested in the life of a Christian practically? Well, that brings us then to the next part in verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So first we're going to deal with the flesh here. Okay, what does it mean if you're under obligation to the flesh? Well, the obligation to the flesh will be manifested by you living according to the flesh, meaning the flesh dictates what you do, what you desire, where you go, what's a crisis, what's not a crisis. Okay, as a non-believer being bound by, obligated, we give uh, um, a payment, if you will, deference to what our flesh says is a crisis. What our flesh says we must have in order to live in this world. So he says, so we're not under obligation to live according uh, to the flesh. Rather, our obligation is to the spirit. Hence, our obligation is to live according to the spirit. Which means the spirit of God dictates what we call a crisis. The Spirit of God dictates where we go, what we desire. That's what we're after. We want to, to um, dispatch our obligation to the Spirit. And what does that, that mean? We need to live according to the Spirit. We need to, to submit to the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, brothers and sisters, what does that mean? Well, what's the work of the Spirit? In Scripture... We could look at a lot of verses. We could look at one of the jobs of the Spirit is our conviction, John 16. So if we are to live according to the Spirit, that is that you and I heed the conviction of the Spirit of God in our lives. If you and I are to live according to the Spirit, another work of the Spirit is spiritual gifts. We're to submit, in essence, use the gifts God's given us. Don't put a bushel over it, right? But to use those gifts to submit to the Spirit of God and say, God, you give me these gifts, use me, Lord. Right? If God gives us grace to help in time of need, you understand the only time you get that grace is when you and I are in our need, when we need it. Well, likewise, God's given you gifts. The only time that they're exercised is when you and I do it, right? When you and I trust God and say, wow, God's given me the gift of uh, compassion. Well, go out and, and by God's grace, minister amongst God's people, okay? That's how we would live according to the Spirit, to dis, uh, dispatch our obligation to the Spirit. Another one would be service, okay? There's a whole bunch. Well, this text gives us one of the areas in which the Spirit of God is working. Notice with me verse 13, okay? Those are some areas I just uh, referenced, 13. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. We'll define that in our next point. But if, by implication, you're living according to or driven by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the way that the Spirit of God manifests His work in our hearts, in our lives, is by putting to death the deeds of the body. Do you see that phrase? 
That's the example. So while he doesn't say live, um, you are you are you are under God, I'm sorry under obligation to the Spirit, it's implied. He does in, uh, very clearly tell us how that obligation is dispatched. Okay, and that is that we would put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit of God. Okay, so brothers and sisters, the tangible way that you and I in this text. The new a priori is the priority now is no longer to be a servant of the flesh, but get this, to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We're to be at war. Okay, this new uh, priority as a non-believer, we did what felt good. I remember my graduation baccalaureate, the preacher who came and spoke at that baccalaureate, his theme was, if it feels good, do it. And it wasn't we should do that. He's saying that's, the, that's what you guys have been taught. And that's what you shouldn't do, okay? If it feels good, don't do it. But in this case, it was, it's brothers and sisters, our, 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 our debt now to the Spirit is by His grace to battle against the deeds of the flesh. Now, would you notice, brothers and sisters, the putting to, to death, it's a present tense, which denotes the idea of a moment-by-moment activity. This is not something you do once. This becomes the new focus and priority of our lives. And that's this active day in and day out, moment by moment, putting to death the deeds of the body. So it describes a lifestyle, a a brand new lifestyle as God's people. We're not about fulfilling the fleshly desires. We now have a lifestyle where we're battling. Now you go, what does that mean? Well, you know what? Paul gives us a great example of it. You can either turn there or just look up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 9, 26. Notice what Paul says. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. The, the language here of I buffet my body and make it my slave, this, isn't, this doesn't mean that when the flesh says sin, Paul said no. That's not, that doesn't mean that. Of course he said no. That's what, uh, that would be the ultimate end, okay? But what he's talking about here is something that he's doing when, when his flesh is even not even saying sin. He's saying at all times, in all places, he is seeking to be in charge, in control of his flesh. So not just the sinful inclinations, but all inclinations is what he's after. He's not just saying that when his flesh sought to sin that, that he say no, that's obvious. Rather, Paul is saying that any time and every time his flesh expressed a desire, not even a sinful one, he endeavored to be in command and so oft times said no. Brothers, and sisters, that's what he's getting at. That's the idea of the new uh, priority. Brothers and sisters, the war, uh, Christianity brings us to battle and that battle, get this, first and foremost is against our own sinful inclinations and desires. The new uh, priority is to submit those to God, and that's to be vigilant. Another way of saying it's this. You, if you've got a watchdog that you go out and you walk with, okay, you know those, those, those leashes that they're, they're, they're on a spring, right? And you have a little button. You can stop it from, from going out. Um, you know, they can stand 10, 15 feet. I don't know how, how long. A lot of people go on walks with that. Well, if you had a dangerous walk do- watchdog, and you're out there letting that leash go really far, and that dog, every time you go on that walk, keeps biting people. 
Like, what am I going to do? Man, this thing just keeps biting people. What would you do? Well, you'd stop giving it leash, right? You bring, the bo- you bring that dog back and make sure that dog walked behind you, beside you, right? As the place that they should be. Beside you, behind me, right? That is keeping a tight leash on that dog so that it doesn't bite. Wait a second here, but if it's loose, it's okay as long as it doesn't bite. Yeah, but if it's loose, it's going to bite. So you keep it under control at all times so that when another dog comes or another person comes, they don't have the opportunity to attack. That's the idea here. Okay, Paul buffeted his body. He was always in control of his desires, always in control. Any desires that he had, inclinations, fears, he evaluated and allowed himself either to to give in to those or not right? Is this a good desire? I'm in charge of this uh, desire. I'm not just going to live impulsively and do whatever my desires are. Rather, I'm going to be in charge of my uh, desires. Even if those desires may be right and lofty, I will be in charge of my desires. That's the idea here. It's what Paul says in Romans 13, 14, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. That's a day-in and day-out activity, non-stop activity. Do not make provision for the flesh in regards to its lust, not for one moment. As John Owens put it, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. So brothers and sisters, the way that, that, that this a command, we are under obligation, the new priority is the Holy Spirit. The way that it's manifested is you and I do vigilance day in and day out moment by moment, as you and I control our flesh. As we say no to it, and wait a second, I'm not going to let you have that thought. We're not going to go there, as you do battle with your flesh. Um, now, my question is, where does resolve come for you and I uh, to do this? What causes us to actually be successful here? While the text doesn't say it, the, text, uh, the, the context does. This fourth priority is building upon everything said before. What gives you and I the the inclination here? The fact that, do you understand that you have no condemnation before God, which means you can't fail. You can't fail. Secondly, you now have fellowship with God, and that's a noun, not something you do. It's something you have. You are in fellowship with God. He walks with you. There's a last soul around you, right? He walks beside you, within you, before you, behind you. You are in fellowship with God in and through all things. You can't lose that. And then you've got this transformed life by the grace and the mercies of, of, of God, which because built upon all of that, that leads us then to this new uh, priority. If I were to summarize the previous three points under one catch-all phrase, it would be love. Brothers and sisters, one and two, all about God's love towards us, enjoying the love of God towards us. And three and four, benefits three and four, is loving God in return. And you see that beautifully woven in 2 Corinthians 5. Listen to it. What is it that, 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 um, that creates the resolve in you and I to fight this battle on a day-in and day-out basis? It's not because if I don't, I'll get condemnation. It's not because if I don't, my personal uh, standard of righteousness will fail. I don't want to be embarrassed. Therefore, I've got my own standards of righteousness. I read the Bible every single day. It's that standard that I'm serving. No. What drives us is love for the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. 
that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Brothers and sisters, that which drives us in this, in this priority is a loving relationship with God. You know God loves you. You've studied, you are studying, you're in the business of studying about God's love and his care and his character, no condemnation. Fellowship with God, getting to know this being. And in response, you see his love towards you in response, you love him back. And that becomes the drive in your life. Dr. Chapel, my old uh, professor, put it this way, commenting on 2 Corinthians 5, what we just read. Why do sins tempt us? Because we love them. That's our, our flesh. Our flesh loves sin. Consider this. If a sin did not attract you, then it would have absolutely no power over your life. Our sins control us by, uh, by our love uh, for them. Isn't that true? Have you all, anyone in, in this room, tempted to, to rob a bank this past week? Would you ever be tempted to break into a high-rise building on the outside, scale it, and break in in the middle of the night as a cat burglar and steal some precious article? Would you be tempted to do any of that? You're not. I don't, I don't drive by buildings and go, oh, I'm being pulled. You know, none of us do that, right? Why? Because that's not something we love. Our problem is, is that the, there's, there are loves and devotions that our flesh had prior to our fa- salvation, during our salvation that we've let it go. Our flesh has this incredible appetite. So our call is to be in charge of that, of that appetite, not let it go. But, we, but when we fail, it's because we love sin. We love certain sins. What can displace such controlling love for sin? The answer is a greater love. When our love for Christ is the top priority in our lives, it drives out our love for sin and encourages our devotion to him. Scottish preacher Thomas uh, Chalmers once described this process as the, I love this, expulsive power of new affection. He understood that our behaviors change and if our, as our affections change. We will most do as we most love. So we conquer sinful passions. The resolve when it comes to this battle, we conquer sinful passions when our greatest desire is to please the one who died and was raised for us. This doesn't mean that battling sin will never require intense spiritual warfare and a day in and day out oversight of our flesh, of course. But victory lies in intense affection of our Lord. So, brothers and sisters, we have a new uh, priority, and that is to serve the Spirit of God as He works by and with His Word to transform us from our flesh and to serving God and the living God, to serving from our our flesh uh, to serving God. Now, how do we do that? How does that take place? How's that going to get root in you? It's not going to come with you and I going, oh, that's what the Bible says. I got to go home and do it. Um, I'm going to make it my new uh, priority. How long is that going to last? Brothers and sisters, it's going to last as you and I give ourselves to the love of God. Knowing his character. Studying who, who, who he is. Growing in our love uh, uh, for him. As that takes place, that is now what reigns in, or better yet, gives us the resolve to submit to the Spirit of God and his working in our lives to free us from the lusts of the flesh. All right, now, that's glorious. But there's even more here. Because verse 13, he gives us encouragement. Notice with me, brothers and sisters, the encouragement that he finally closes with here. For, you, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
Now, he's not talking about heaven and hell here. Okay? Why do we know that? How do you know that? You're students of Scripture. You read a verse like this. Oh, my. If I live according to the flesh, I must die. I'm going to go to hell. How do you know that's not what this text is saying as exegetes? Because of the context. Verse 1. There's no condemnation. So we're not talking here about heaven and hell or the wrath of God as a consequence of if you live according to your flesh. What he's talking about are the practical, existential reapings of life and death in the life of a Christian. Okay? That's clearly what he's talking about here. You see that throughout Scripture. First Timothy 5, 6, you know this verse very well. To the widow, Paul says, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure, this is a Christian woman, she who gives herself to wanton pleasure, she who, who serves her flesh, in essence, is dead even while she lives. What does that mean? Well, brothers and sisters, he's just, this death is, is no different from what is described in Galatians 5 when he talks about enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, actions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings. When those characterize your life or if those are part and parcel of your life, guess what? That's death. Okay? You are, you are, you are reeking or smelling the stench of death in your relationships, in your own life. If you give yourself to anger, pride, defensiveness, what are you reaping? You're reaping death in your life. Now, I'm not talking hell. We're talking practical death. You are, you are, you are reaping death. That's why Paul says you're dead even while you live. Galatians 5, uh, 15, right uh, before that, God's people as a church gave themselves to the priority of the flesh in Galatia. The church is there. They were living for their flesh. And the result was it had a horrible detrimental effect upon the body life of the body of Christ. So Paul comes to them and says, Galatians 5, 15, to these Christians, if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. That's death. But I say, walk by the Spirit, our new priority. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Then he goes and describes the, the, the ramifications, the manifestations of, of fleshly living, which I just read. And then the manifestations of, 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 of carrying out the desires of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. So, brothers and sisters, the first encouragement is, because you know what, brothers and sisters, none of us here want to reap death in their life. And again, I'm not talking about hell. The, Paul's not talking about hell. None of us wants, to, wants to, to walk around with gangrenous flesh on us which stink. None of us want that. Forget what other people are going to think. You don't want to smell it. You don't want to see it, right? Well, that's what Paul's saying here. We, brothers and sisters, if you and I give ourselves, if we don't take this seriously, we will manifest the consequences of that in our lives. So we're called to, to do what? The encouragement, notice the text, verse 13, one more time. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die, but if by the Spirit, see that little phrase in your Bibles? That's not necessary. Let me read the text without it. If you're living according to the flesh, you must die, but if you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You really don't need that statement by the, the Spirit. Well, what does that statement do for us? Ah, it tells us how. If you're living by the Spirit. If you're, if you're submitting to the Spirit, if you're, if you're functioning according, if your mind is functioning by the Spirit, how does that work, brothers and sisters? 
Well, if you want to know that, when you think of living by the Spirit, what's the one verse that sticks out in your mind as the, the verse of verses that describes how to live by the Spirit of God? Well, it's Ephesians 5. That's the passage. That's the um, mother of all passages on describing what it means to live by the Spirit. Let me read it to you. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dis- a dissipation. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he starts. Know what the will of it is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But, what's he say? Um, but, uh, where is it? Um, uh, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, be, be filled. That word is a maritime word. Uh, a sailing word. And it was used to describe wind filling a sail and driving that boat. So he says, don't get drunk. Be filled. Let the Spirit of God drive you in your life. That's what we're after. That's... The encouragement, brothers and sisters, let the Spirit of God drive you. This is the new priority. We're now serving him. Don't be driven by the flesh. But let's be quick to oversee it. Remember, victory on Friday comes on Sunday, or the, the previous uh, sa- uh, Saturday. Okay, Victory comes as you and I don't give ourselves to our flesh. We, we keep a tight rope on that flesh. But we, by out of love for God, live by the Spirit. The Spirit drives us. Well, how does that happen? What does that mean? Well, thankfully, you know this text. Colossians 3, a little bit later on, Paul wrote, same time, later in the Bible, Colossians 3, Paul wrote almost the same idea as Ephesians 5, but instead of saying being, being, be filled with the Spirit, notice what he wrote. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Be filled by the word. With all wisdom, teaching, highlight that, and admonishing one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, highlight that, with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks, highlight that, through him to God the Father. What is meant by being word-filled? It means that we are in the word so much that the word of God is in us. It's what's driving us. That the word of God, we are submitting to what the word of God says. And as you and I do that, we are driven by the word. Well, brothers and sisters... If the Holy Spirit is the author of the, the word, doesn't doesn't stand to reason that to be word filled is to be spirit filled. Indeed, written about the same time, go back to Ephesians. Notice the consequence of being spirit filled. It's the same as being word filled. You've got it there. Ephesians five: Be filled with the Spirit, speaking, which would be the same as teaching. Speaking, teaching one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and making melody your hearts unto the Lord, giving thanks. Same three consequences: teaching, singing, thanking. Is that right? Um, same same uh, consequences um, as being spirit-filled, as being word-filled. Brothers and sisters, to be, we, we go back into our text, uh, 13. If, if you are living according to flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, what does that mean? That means that the Word of God, is that what's driving you? You're submitting to God's Word. You're submitting to God's Spirit. You're in God's Word. You're allowing God's Word to transform your thinking, your values, giving you new values, new goals, reasons upon which to, to, to say this is a crisis rather than giving deference to your flesh. The Word of God is, what is, is what's by the Spirit. Open your eyes to what we ought to be giving deference to, what it means to live by the Spirit of God. So, uh, a closer, or a closer. So, as we um, uh, to summarize, brothers and sisters, the new priority is this: that we now are no longer subject to our flesh; we're subject to the Spirit of God, and thus that means we are careful about our flesh, 
And we are seeking to know the mind of the Spirit through His Word by which we apply it and live our lives into His glory. That's the new uh, priority. That's a picture of the life that, of the fourth benefit. However, there's a problem here. Before I, I close, I want to uh, address this. I want to give you a caution. Because the moment I preach this sermon, as I just did, everything within you, your, your default programming, your performance-based flesh, is going to take this sermon and it's going to twist it. I'm going to make a bold statement uh, to you. Following the word of God will not grant you victory over the flesh. If you think what I've just preached is, get in the word of God and that will grant you victory over the flesh, you and I are horribly um, wrong. Okay, Following the word of God, hear this, will not give us victory over the flesh. Now you may go, heresy. Brothers and sisters, get this. The idea that following the word of God, a lot of Christians in the Protestant or better Reformed camp believe if I follow the word of God, I'll have victory over the flesh. Guess what that is? That's the Roman Catholic doctrine of ex opera operato. In doing it, it is done. If, if, I, if I obey God's word, that will give me victory. If I do what God's word says, I'll have victory. Brothers and sisters, that is Roman Catholic. That is not biblical. So this is the caution, okay? The word of God cannot produce anything that you want. Listen to Galatians 3.21. If a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then by sure righteousness would indeed have been based upon the word of God, the law. If the law could possibly give life, and it doesn't. Paul's point is, this cannot produce any fruit in your life. It can't. Obeying this will not change you. Obeying this will not transform you. All this will do because of your flesh is make you twice the son of hell. Matthew 23. You say, wait a second, man. This, that's, that's crazy. Do you know the, the, the favorite tool of your flesh Know the enemy, brothers and sisters. It's within you. What's the favorite tool of your flesh? I know, it's a CD bar. Yeah, that's what it is. It's, 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 it's something on the internet, right? It's, it's, it's alcohol. It's drugs. It's, those are the favorite tools of the flesh. That is not the favorite tool of the flesh. The favorite tool of the flesh, you're going to be shocked by this one, is the Word of God. Romans 7, 7 through 8. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Meganoita, may it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. The law is wonderful. The word of God's great. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So God's word is fantastic. But sin, he's talking about his flesh, a flesh, sin, taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind for apart from the law, sin, your flesh is dead. The favorite tool that gives life to your flesh is the very thing that will transform our minds and and enable us to submit uh, to the Spirit. So that's a contradiction. You've told me, brothers, you just said, Greg, if you want to be Spirit-led, Spirit-driven, you've got to be Word-driven. So I walked away going, I should be in God's Word and allowing God's Word to dictate what I want, desire, and do. 
And the answer is, of course. But if you're not careful, brothers and sisters, your flesh is going to take that very principle and be empowered by it and make you a slave. But the difference is a slave not of lust, adultery, drugs. It'll make you a slave of religion. A slave of religiosity. Where now I do these things believing that these things are going to make me a better person. These things are going to change me before God. Brothers and sisters, doing these things won't change a thing essentially between you and God. How do we know that from this text? Romans 8 verse 1, no condemnation. So doing these things will not change your character. Well, brothers and sisters, well then, what's, why did God give us his word then? You just said, be in the word, preacher. What's, why do I be in it? Let me ask you, what's the chief end of God's word? You know what God means chief end? What's, what's the chief end of God's word? For that, Deuteronomy 17, it'll be right in back of me. Deuteronomy 17, notice the text. This is the law of the king. Now it shall come about when he sits on his throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on the scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. That, that why? Why do you read the word of God all the days of your life? Why, based on what you just heard, should I be in God's word? So that it gives me a new mind. So that it changes my affections. It won't do that, brothers and sisters. The word of God is impotent in doing that. So that it will give me freedom over sin. It won't do that. What is the end of the word of God? Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 19, B this time. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. He shall write for himself a copy of the law and the scroll in the presence of a Levitical priest. And it shall be with him and he shall read all the days of life that, what? He may learn to fear. You know what the word fear means? It's a reverential love. Do you know why you read the word of God? So that you would grow in your love for God. So you'd go, grow in your reverence for God. How does the word of God, how does the spirit of God use the word of God in our lives to produce victory over the flesh as it, as it grows us, in, as we read the word of God and we learn about his character and what he's done, chapter 8 one and following. As we learn about these things, it causes us to love him more, to serve him, to want him, to be bound by him. It's this glorious purpose of God's word, the ultimate end. Perfectly what we'd say, what is man's chief end? Glorify God and enjoy him. What's God's chief end? Glorify himself and enjoy himself. What is the word of God's chief end? Glorify God to enjoy him. That's fear. Fear is reverence, glorifying God, loving him. That's fear. You read the word of God not to do things. You read the word of God to fellowship with God. And then comes the doing of things. As Jack Miller put it, fellowship is the priority in the Christian life, not doing things for God, but being with God. So yes, brothers and sisters, take my summary I said a little bit earlier and understand it with this caution. Yes, the new priority is now we are freed from uh, our obligation to sin, our flesh. We're now free to serve the Holy Spirit. Where's the Holy Spirit working? In controlling your flesh. 
So work with the Holy Spirit in controlling your flesh. Be in charge of what you desire. You know, hey, my flesh wants right now, it's the three o'clock in the afternoon, my flesh wants a, a snack. Normally, I'd mindlessly go and feed it. Okay, if you want to know how fleshly we are, look at the uh, fat content of the typical American. Brothers and sisters, I'm a fat man, I feed my flesh. I've got to be in charge of those desires. It's three o'clock, I want a snack. No, not today, flesh. I'm in charge. Is it, would it be a sin to get that snack? No. But I need to be in charge of my flesh. That's what this text is saying. By the Spirit, I'm in charge of my flesh. Why? Because now I'm living in subservient to the Spirit of God who's working in this way. Well, how does the Spirit of God do that? How do I do it by the Spirit? Well, brothers and sisters, by submitting to the Spirit's Word, being in the Word of God. I got it. So if I just mindlessly do the things of God's Word, I'll change. No, you won't. Because you've got a flesh. What your flesh is going to do is going to twist God's Word. So what must I do? As I'm in God's word, I must be in God's word for the sole purpose of fellowshipping with God. How many of you all on a daily basis who are in God's word daily or on a weekly basis, for how many times you're in God's word on a weekly basis or monthly, how much of that time is spent fellowshipping with God, musing upon him, adoring him, exalting him, talking with him about his character, just talking out loud uh, in your prayer about what that character means in your life, thanking him for his character, for what he is and who he is and what he does. How much of your Christian walk when you spend time in your quiet time is spent gathering information versus fellowshipping and enjoying God fellowshipping with him? Brothers and sisters, that's the idea. To walk by the Spirit is to fellowship with God. So that's the new uh, priority being subservient to the Spirit of God, freed from flesh, subservient to the Spirit, by which, through His Word, we fellowship with God and thus have a mind transformed. Our desires, motives, goal, as a secondary consequence of fellowshipping and loving our King. Brothers and sisters, that's the fourth glorious benefit that flows from a saving relationship with Christ. May God give us all... uh, a grace to just give ourselves to it, to indulge our spirit in worshiping and fellowshipping with God. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your word. And Lord, how it describes this glorious priority, which now becomes, I hope, I pray, oh God, by your grace, a, a functioning priority on a daily basis in our lives. That Lord, we're walking with you. That everywhere we go, you're with us. And therefore, Lord, everything we are doing, we're seeking to be subservient to you. Lord, what do you want? What would you have me desire at this moment? What is truly a crisis? How should I think about this, this, this Ukrainian war? What should I think about COVID? What should I think about these, these signs of the time? God, I pray by your spirit, you would indeed instruct us and grow us as we uh, submit, Lord, not... Not with the idea of, of in the doing it is done, but Lord, as we submit in our fellowship and worship and reverence of you, Lord, affect in us the life that would lead us to life and not death practically in our day-to-day basis. We entrust ourselves, O Lord, unto you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.